As always, I don't want I don't want to break tradition. So reach your hand up here. I I just like I, you know getting to be the pastor. I get to be prayed for all the time. It's pretty cool. So, Father, speak through him. Now put your hand on your heart and say, Father, speak to me. Amen. I agree with those prayers in Jesus' name. So we want to hit the mark, right? We have something called anchor points. I picked up a, uh, a habit a couple of years ago. I've always wanted to do it my whole life. But a couple of years ago, I bought a compound bow. Uh, it's one of those fancy bow and arrows that uh, you know, has the, the spools on either end. And you pull it back, and it's, it's really powerful and all that stuff. But I learned something about an anchor point. Because the interesting thing about archery is you have to have your body aligned, you have to have your breath right, you have to have um, what they call muscle memory. The more your muscle memory is in line, then the more consistent you are when you draw that bow back and you, you release it. In fact, with these new fancy high-powered bows, there's something like almost a 20th of a second from the time you turn that release loose until the arrow actually leaves your cheek. So the anchor point is very, very important. The anchor point is where you keep that, that release. And you want to follow through. You don't want to move. You want to smoothly release it. But every time you want to have that release in the corner of your mouth and, or, or your, your hand behind your ear, different people do it different ways. But consistency is the key here. I was, uh, I was in the backyard practicing a couple of weeks ago, and my son was out there, and uh, I, had, I had been at 20 yards, and 20 yards is pretty easy. I've gotten to where I can hit the bullseye really easily at 20 yards. 30 yards, I'm still pretty good, but I backed off to about 50 yards, and Cohen's sitting there watching me, he goes, man, why is it so hard to hit the, the bullseye, Dad? I thought you were good at this. I said, well, I'm really having to push to, 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 to hit the target at this distance. Well, the thing of the matter is, if you don't have your anchor point right at 20 yards, those little minute differences, they may not, may not make a huge difference at 20 yards, but let me tell you, at 50 or 60, you may completely miss the target. So that consistency, that rhythm, that muscle memory that we just keep doing the same thing over and over again, there's parts of that in the Christian life. Now, I'm not talking about rules over relationship. Never. I don't, like, we always need to stay in relationship. But what are we doing to make sure that, that our heart's not turned, so that we have consistency and that we're continuing to stay in relationship. That we're continuing, I'm not the only one that goes days sometimes without opening my Bible, am I? I mean, at least in your life, you have done that, right? Like you, where you didn't open your Bible. Or maybe you went through the morning and you haven't even prayed. Or maybe it was a day or two. So these are things that, that bring consistency and memory to our life. When we open our scriptures consistently, it's an anchor point. 
Because we have the Word in us through relationship with Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. We have the Word in us. But guess what? That Spirit in us that's been sanctified, it's still coming out of my mouth. It's not always sanctified. My soul that's being refined. The, 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 the Scripture we'd refer to is your mind being renewed to what is already true on the inside. But what's an anchor point that helps us to get back there? I think I told you a story a few weeks ago of in the Midwest during blizzards, there were so many farmers and ranchers that died halfway between their house and the barn because it was wide out and it was freezing out there and they couldn't see the door. And they found so many of these, these farmers and ranchers had died within feet of their, of their front door of their own home. That's just crazy to think of, of it being that cold. Well, you've got your livelihood out there, so you're going to go take care of those animals. You're going to take care of what feeds your family. But then they get lost coming back in. It's kind of like when we go out into the world. We've got a mission to go out into the world. But we, we, we come back. We have to have that anchor point. So what they would do then is they would tie a rope and knot it up, and it would go all the way from the barn door to their front door so that they could see and, and even feel how to get back. And that was an anchor point to them. So one of the things we want to do on Wednesday nights is make sure that we have spiritual formation of anchor points. One of those is church service and, and a message. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So that builds our faith. Next week, we're going to do another anchor point, and that's prayer. Prayer is something that's very, very, very important in my life. Praying in the Spirit, praying in my knowing, praying, praying out of relationship, learning to pray scriptures, learning to pray what God has said. Because sometimes, like I said, my mouth and my spirit aren't exactly lining up. But praying in the Spirit is one of those ways that, that you learn to, to bring your, your body, your flesh into submission. Praying God's holy scriptures is another way to do that. And it is amazing. You just pray through some psalms consistently. You, you go through the psalms of, of ascent, starting in Psalm 120 through about 133. I went, I went through a couple of months of just praying through one of those a day, and I would literally wake up after several weeks of this, and I'd catch myself actually speaking the, the word. Like, I wasn't even awake. Wake up, and I'm saying the psalm, like I'm talking in my sleep. I don't know what you say when you're talking in your sleep, but that's pretty cool to have had a rhythm that caused me to wake up with God's word coming out of my mouth. That's pretty cool. And, and, and it, without that consistency of that anchor point, it probably wouldn't have happened. But anchor points in our walk with God, that's what helps keep our relationship healthy. Those of you that are married or have dated, Jasmine and I have an anchor point. We have coffee in our bedroom. We have two chairs across from each other. And we sit there and we, we set the phones down 
we say, kids, y'all go, go watch a show or go play or whatever it may be. But that anchor point in our relationship is important, where we sit there face-to-face drinking our coffee. And it causes our relationship to grow. It causes me to understand what she's saying. And through some miracle, it causes her to understand what I'm saying. And it's, it's pretty helpful in marriage. It's really helpful. So that's what, that's what we're talking about tonight. Hard times come. Scriptures tell us that we're called to live at peace with all men in so much as it has to do with you. That tells me something. When it has to do with me, I'm going to try to live at peace with all men. But it doesn't always have to do with me. You can't control other people. On a good day, on a really good day, I might be able to control myself. But you cannot control other people. And another thing you can't do, Scriptures also say that offenses will come. Not that they might come, they will come. So another thing you can't control is the circumstances. I believe for health. Like, I believe that I can stand on God's Word and stand in health. That doesn't mean I don't have an opportunity to get sick. Like, I may be tempted. You may be tempted. Those circumstances come. Those storms come. We have no promise of there not being suffering in the Christian life. Like, there is hard days, but we have hope. It's not that we don't have hard days. We know who's in our boat, right? We know who's in our boat. So, so these anchor points, they drive us back to God daily. The devil is not... I want you, I want you to hear something. I'm going to preach on the devil for a minute. The devil is not omnipresent. He doesn't read your thoughts. He's not everywhere you go. You know where he likes to go? You know where he likes to send his minions? To where he's celebrated. How do we celebrate the enemy? You know, do you know how many Christians I know that love to celebrate the devil? When you exalt the bad circumstances, when you exalt what the enemy's doing, I'm not saying you don't have bad days. I'm not saying that if I have a a hard time, I don't go to my brother and tell him, man, I am struggling today. My emotions are out of whack. This stinks. It is bad. Pray with me. Because I can go to my brother and he can encourage me. He can stir me up in my most holy faith. But I tell you what I'm not going to do is blame everything in the world on the devil because the devil's defeated. He's like a viper without any fangs. He may strike and he may scare you, but he's not going to harm you. He doesn't have that control over your life. He doesn't have that power over your life. He's, the devil is not omnipresent, but his minions go where he's elevated. 
We've been commissioned in a great restoration project. I, John 17, if you ever read through that, it's probably my life prayer. I look at what Jesus did, and I just go, oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. You've made me one with Jesus, just as Jesus is one with the Father. And he says to the Father, I'm leaving them there because the rest of the world needs to know how much I love them. Like, that is my mission statement in life. Like, I want to work for God. Like, it is not work. And I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about I want to partner with him to see people saved, to see them restored to who God created them. So I was thinking this week, if we're on a restoration project, then something had to be corrupted. So what was God's original intent with humankind? I asked God this week, I was like, you know, what, what were you thinking when you made man and you knew man was going to fall? And, and I know in, in, in the garden, there was no restoration project. Have you ever thought about that? Like, we're on a temporary mission. We're in a time where this restoration project is what we're, we're going towards, to show the world how much God loves them. So what was it like in the garden? It was perfect. There was relationship. So if Jesus in John 17 has restored relationship between God and man, making us one with him, making us heirs and sons, that is where it started. How does God see you? He sees you as a child. We have children in here. We have kids in here. And they can hear me. I promise you they hear me even over those devices. They're okay. It's amazing what a child can hear. You may think that they're distracted. You may think that they've got everything else in the world going on. But there are seeds planted. And they just simply believe. And they simply love. So if you are a child of God, and that's what you're being restored to, the other thing I want to tell you is you are loved. Isn't that awesome? Like, can you imagine? I can't imagine loving anything more than my very own offspring. Like when that baby was put in my arms... I nearly lost it. I just didn't know what I was going to do. But that love, no matter what my children do, cannot be taken away. Can't be taken away. And God's love is even more perfect than mine. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more do I love you? So in our restoration project, we can't lose sight in the work of who we are. Every one of you is a child of God. I propose to you that every single person that takes a breath on this earth is a child of God. 
They may not have accepted him. They may not be saved. They may not, they, they may have actually rejected him. Guess what? Still a child of God. And the second that they turn, he's already there. You can't run far enough away from him that you can't, that to where you wouldn't turn and him be in your face. As long as there's breath in your lungs, there's hope for you. I believe that with every bit of my heart. We've been commissioned in this great restoration project, being restored ourselves into the likeness of Jesus. Darlene, would you click on Ephesians 4.11 for me, please? It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. It's what we call the five-fold ministry. I have an office of a, a pastor teacher, um, or a shepherd, if you will. My job is actually not to minister. We're going to see that in just a second. My job as a member of this fivefold ministry that, that God has, that Jesus himself has given to the church, is to equip you for the ministry. It says, it's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Are we in this room even all in the unity of the faith yet? Like we're, we're working there. We're trying to get there. If we stand on the fact that we believe in Jesus, then yes. Like it's when we start dividing all the other little things out that we start to get away from that. So until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I've got a ways to go. I've got a ways to go. So that means that I've got job security, okay? Because <laughs> not only am I, am I called in the fivefold ministry, I'm a saint as well. And if you come from certain backgrounds, you may not realize that you're actually called a saint. If you've believed in Jesus, you are a saint. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your track record says. I don't, I don't care what the, what the record at the, the courthouse says. If you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you're a saint. In fact, if you look at your sin or your weakness and you disqualify yourself, I have some heartbreaking news for you. You're trying to count yourself as greater than what Jesus did. And there is no amount of bad, no amount of good that you can do that can overwhelm what Jesus has done. So as a church, but let's finish the last, the last verse here. It says, rather, it's okay, I got it. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the, church, the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. You're a joint, okay? You're a part. You're, you're a part of this body. Is equipped when each part is working properly. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we as the church, we have some anchor points. And this is why we have them, because we're called to see people grow up. Our mission statement at our church, at Victory Life Church, is 
growing healthy churches that are building healthy churches that are growing people in Christ. Like, if we see people not growing, it's our job to help them grow. Sometimes it's it's from uh, uh, speaking the truth in love. You read that right? Like I've taken our leadership team through a course called Crucial Conversations, and it's been long and it's been tough, but it's been beneficial. It's one of the most beneficial things I've been through. Because if you go to silence instead of actually speaking the truth in love, you become complacent, and you be actually become complicit to people not growing up. So we've got to learn to speak in love. You know, people automatically get defensive. We all have insecurities. And so we either go to silence or we, or we get big and like, don't talk to me about that. I'm, I, you know, we scare people away. We like to scare people away when we get big. But if we would humble ourselves, it says that God will elevate us. In fact, a humble man has the greatest advantage among all men. Did you know that? A humble man has the greatest advantage among all men. Humble man, humble woman, doesn't matter. You know what their advantage is? Not only is God on their side, nobody can put them down. Nobody. And God's not going to put you down. If you're humble, he's going to elevate you. So if we walk in humility, I would always rather lean towards that side of over-honor, even if I miss it, than, than be arrogant. I don't always succeed at that, but I try, and that's my goal. So a humble man has the greatest advantage among all men because no one can put him down. Being teachable and correctable and steadfast in faith, those are three things that will take you so far in life. Like if if you feel called to the ministry, if you are teachable, correctable, and steadfast, I mean stand in your faith, then there is nothing going to stop you from where God's taking you. That steadfastness and faith means that we're trusting that we have delegated authority, but that we're not in control. Like, you have authority. You may not be in control of all the circumstances, but you have authority from God himself. God is sovereign, right? But did you know that he's made man sovereign? We have delegated sovereignty. Listen very carefully to what I'm saying, because these words may offend you. God is not in control of everything. God is not, did not make me sin. God did not give you that thought. God cannot lie. There are things he can't do, won't do, and some of those things he's actually delegated to you. Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, take dominion over this earth. And he gave them free will. So we partner with God. But here's the thing I know and I stand so comforted in is that he will use all things for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purposes. 
He didn't send the sickness. It says in James, he, didn't, he doesn't need to use evil. He doesn't need to use sickness. He doesn't need to use those things. He's, too, he's above that. It's God's loving kindness that should lead men to repentance. But in his sovereignty, he said, Adam, rule, domain this, make, make this earth your domain. And so even from the beginning, we were co-laborers. You know how Jesus was a carpenter like Joseph? God created, and he gave Adam a job to work with him. Partnership. And I just think that's beautiful that Jesus has restored our partnership. So we're talking about anchor points, and I'm running out of time already. Unless somebody just wants to say, just, just keep preaching, preacher. <laughs> I know, I know it's late. Uh, so what are some anchor points of a faithful follower of Jesus? In Hebrews 10.24, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It says, remember to stir each other up. And I want you to really think, when it says assembling, that means you are building. Think of Legos, like you're a Lego, he's a Lego, she's a Lego. And we each have a joint and a part to play. That assembling is important. Don't just wait for somebody to come pull you in. You need to be actively engaged in assembling yourself. I don't care where you're at. There's a place for you to serve. The church's job is to equip the saints for the ministry. The ministry, a minister is a servant. So we're all supposed to serve each other. There will be no need if we're all serving each other. My friend told a great story in the huddle the other day about in that acorn is everything needed for the oak tree. Prophet Isaiah calls us oaks of righteousness that will go forth and restore the desolation of many years. It's in that acorn. Everything we need is right here. So we have Jesus in us. Amen? So what's our anchor point? I'm going to go to Acts 2.42. Read it a little bit the other day, but it's just, it's too simple. I like simplicity. How about you guys? The more that I follow Jesus, the more I realize it's just a couple of very simple things. It's how we walk them out that matters. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I wasn't very good at English, but that's a run-on sentence if I've ever heard one. But there's got to be something there. And they devoted themselves. Devoted. That means they were steadfast in something. Like they intentionally did this over and over. It was a rhythm. It was a anchor point, just like that, that bow where you, you make sure it's in the same place every time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They had no needs and they, because they were all servants. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And the day by day attending the temple together, I hear people say that there's no need for the church. Like the, the modern um, religion is just useless. I hear this that's said, but it says right here that they devoted themselves to going to the temple day by day. They were here more than I am. Amen. The breaking of the bread in their homes. So they didn't leave it in the temple. They took it home with them. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. So some simple anchor points. Steadfastness to the word. I'm not talking about being a child in our reading. You have to start somewhere. Like now we, have, we are teaching five kids how to read. We've succeeded with, with over half of them, but now we've still got a two-year-old that's coming up, three-year-old that's coming up. We're, we're now teaching her how to read, how to sound things out. But you know what she can do? She knows this is a Bible. And you know that she knows that this is about Jesus. So a three-year-old can open this up and go, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Because we read it every night. Does that mean that she has read this book steadfastly? She has a grasp. She has a nugget in there. She has an acorn in there. It's a, it's a seed of reverence, and it's a place in her life. But as she grows, I want her to learn to sound out the vowels. I want her to learn what a noun is. I want her to learn what a verb is so that she really has a deep understanding. When I said that uh, I learned to pray the Psalms a few years ago, and I'd wake up saying these words. It's meditating. It's, it's chewing on it. I say chewing all the time, but have you, have you thought of a dog when it gets its favorite, favorite bone? It just sits there, you know? And that word used for meditation and and being steadfast to the word is that word. It says in uh, Isaiah 31, For thus the Lord said to me, As a lion or a young lion growls over its prey, when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he's not terrified by their shouting or daunted by their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on the Mount Zion and its hill. As we meditate, as we growl over the Word of God, it goes down into our souls. It permeates our thoughts, our will, our emotion, and it starts to come back out to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's where we meditate, where we just, ugh, we read the Word. So do you see the difference in what a three-year-old does and what a grown man should do over the Word of God? 
It doesn't mean that you can't be a three-year-old. You need to be a three-year-old. But as we grow, this is an anchor point to where we take the Word, we take the Scriptures, and we give it reverence, and we allow proper interpretation of it to meditate. The word is uh, yega, to growl like a dog delights in a bone, to chew, to swallow. What I'm talking about here, this anchor point, this is a big word, and it's a, it's a confusing word. Don't worry about it. It's called exegesis. It's a noun. It means the critical explanation, interpretation of a text, especially the Scriptures. Do you know that if you don't properly interpret the Bible, you can make it say whatever you want it to say? Think about it. This is the Word of God. So if we become prideful, and we try to make it say what we want it to say, instead of what it says in the large context of the Bible, then we're really at risk of pride and corrupting our hearts. So it's not just to read, to read, for the sake of reading. This anchor point I'm talking about is to read in order to live. It's where you chew the marrow out of the bone, that life-giving substance that's there. And I know I'm getting deep, but this needs to be an anchor point in our lives because the storms will come. And what you have spent your time meditating on is what comes out. When we get squeezed, what comes out is what we've put in. Not only do we read in order to live, we want to live the Scriptures as we read them. It doesn't mean we get it all right the first time, every time. It means this is a walk. This is a relationship. You have to... Man, if you don't have the Holy Spirit to help you interpret the Scriptures, to give you that check, you're going to be in trouble. And all you need to receive the Holy Spirit is ask. He's there. He, he gives freely and without reproach. Psalm 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 1-2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 3-1, God told him, eat this scroll, let it go down in your belly. This is an anchor point that I'm talking about. If you want to consistently be able to, to get back up over and over again, it's why you need to be in church. It's why you need to hear the Word of God, and it's why you need to study the Word of God. We have so much at our disposal right now. It's just incredible. I stand here when I was a kid, had severe ADD, dealt with dyslexia, couldn't, struggled to read, struggled to comprehend. I can pick up my cell phone now, and I can turn on my Bible app, or I can go online and turn on my Bible app 
and I can click on it, and like that. Have I made my point? You know, I drive down the road and I, I turn that on. And it helps me so much. Like We don't have an excuse. We have every opportunity. We have social media. You can encourage each other on social media. Amen? You don't have to get caught up in the, the bad stuff. Psalm, let's turn Facebook into Gracebook. Yeah, that's not bad. I might, I might have to say that again. <laughs> Psalm 63, 5 and 6, it says, My soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. It's that meditation. It's that chewing of the bone. That's how I love to study, that anchor point. I just love taking a verse and just reading about it. And then I read the, the chapter before and the chapter after. You know, you'll, you'll usually interpret it correctly if you read the chapter before and the chapter after, like a large percentage of the time. So as we interpret Scripture, as we look at this anchor point, one of the things you need to know to properly interpret Scripture, you need to know who was God talking to. Where were they at in life? What was he saying to that people? What was their culture like? I know this sounds intense, and it, it doesn't have to be. We have a lot of tools at our disposal. But as you learn to love the Scripture, your desire for the Scripture will grow. I love coffee. And if I don't have coffee for a couple of days or a couple of hours, then I start to get a headache. I didn't like coffee the first time I drank it, but I like what coffee did. So I've grown in my taste, in my desire for something very just carnal. Yeah, now I'm just a coffee junkie. I, I think I'm probably a coffee snob. Like, I want the good coffee. This this month, it's just been, it's been so cool. I've had... Uh, I was blessed with bags and bags of coffee this month. I mean, I walked into a coffee shop, and, like, I just, the owner's sitting there, and she goes, um, you need to take one of those, one of those bags, I mean, like a $20 bag of coffee. I'm just like, I had favor in my life. Open up a bag from somebody that just was blessing us, and there's two bags of coffee in there. So Jasmine and I, this, this month, have just been really enjoying our coffee. It's like the more we learn to what is out there, the more we enjoy it. I don't know if that makes sense. Scripture's the same way. The more you study it, the more you hear it, the more it tunes your ear and tunes your taste buds in. It's an anchor point. So we're not going to dig much deeper in this tonight, but communion and serving is another anchor point. There is over... 100 references to the one another's in just the New Testament. 
And there's, I think, 57, just in the New Testament, 57th, love one another, how to treat one another, what not to do to one another. So don't tell me that we're not supposed to be gathered together as the church. Jesus saves you individually, but his mission for you is corporate. Let me say that again. He saves you individually. You have to make that choice. But for you to fulfill the mission he sends you on is corporate. You don't do it alone. You don't have, you, you ain't all that in a, in a bag of chips. Now you're in the bag, and you can't eat just one. You're, you're his favorite. Yeah, I am too. That's good. We're each his favorite. So communion and serving. So communion, that's one of those fancy church words, right? Maybe some of you had not been here long. It's sharing or exchanging of an intimate thought and feeling, especially when the exchange is on a mental or a spiritual level. Communion is what happens when my wife and I have coffee because we're talking about the deeper things. Communion also means different things. It means fellowship, kinship, friendship, Community, togetherness, closeness, sharing, harmony, understanding, connection, communication, association, empathy, sympathy, agreement, and unity. That is where communion comes from. It also is the act of Christian worship in which the bread and the wine are consecrated and shared. The Holy Eucharist, where we remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. So we're called into community. We're called into unity with Jesus. It's revealed to us there. So, and then finally, the prayers. It said they were steadfast in the prayers. It's not just me praying what I want to pray. You know, I ask my kids every night, you know, what do you want to pray for tonight? Mostly because, I'll be honest with you, I'd go up and I'd pray for them and I'd sing their song and, and, I'd pray over them, and then I'm up there for five more minutes with them giving prayer requests. Well, I need, this knee hurts, and, and that tooth is wiggly, and, you know. So finally, I just started off right. I said, what are we praying for tonight? Let's get it all knocked out, because <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> but prayer is more than just what we want to pray about. And most of us in the modern unstructured church don't understand that something happens when you open up the scripture and you say unless the Lord builds the house those who labor it those who build it labor in vain unless the Lord watches over the city the watchman stays awake in vain it's in It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. He gives his beloved sleep. It would be a great prayer to, to pray if you struggle with sleeping. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Your kids ever difficult? You 
just read God's promises instead of your gripes. You just elevated God's word instead of elevating the enemy. This is how we renew our minds. God's word's already on the inside of you. So what are your anchor points? So what are you going to do now? We all know what to do. I knew that I didn't need two toaster strudels last night at midnight. I knew that I didn't need them. I know what to do. I don't always do it. But how are you going to walk this out in your life? It's part of our commitment as a church. We're going to have life groups. We're going to have service that you can come here and listen to the word. And on Wednesdays, we're going to start having these anchor points. Next week, Glenn and Renee, they're going to be down here, and they're going to be leading a prayer service. And we're going to start having directive prayer. It's where we, we choose every month, what are we going to pray for? Are we going to pray for our city? Are we going to pray for our church? Are we going to pray for our families? What are we going to pray for? And then we're going to come together, and it says, The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So that's what we're going to do on the second Wednesday. We're just calling it Anchor Point Wednesdays. Third Wednesday, we're going to break bread. We're going to eat together. And I'm not even going to get up here and speak, so you won't have to encourage me to go longer or to shut up. Uh, I better quit while I'm ahead. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You talk to things that you value. I'm not saying God's a thing, but if you value anything, you talk to it. Maybe you value your, your cat or your dog. Maybe you value your plants. Hopefully you value your spouse or the people around you. But part of that steadfastness in prayer is we trust God. And we're watchful in it with thanksgiving because we may not be able to control the circumstances, but we know the outcome is good for us. Even if we die, we win. Did you know that? Did you read the end of the book? We get to sit next to Jesus in glory. We get to do that. But we also get to live in the kingdom of heaven now Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. Worship team, would y'all come on up, please? The kingdom of God is at hand. And when we have these anchor points in our life, the kingdom is so close that we can taste it. 